Ephesians 4, verse 1 reads, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. And verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I want to speak to you tonight about forbearing one another. Now, it is a very true fact of life that you don't get to choose the family that you're born into. Like them or not, you're stuck with them. Now, family dynamics are wonderful. They're very interesting, and they're also very challenging at times. And wherever you're at, let me hear an amen. Some of you, it was so loud, I could hear you here at the church. But at the end of the day, even with all of their quirks, with all of their and our imperfections, Most of us really love our families. I love my family. I'm so thankful for my family. And it's amazing what love and family ties will allow you to put up with. Because we put up with a lot in families. My families have put up with a lot from this guy over the years. Because you know good and well, that there is that one family member in particular that you're close to right now and you enjoy being with them. But if you were previously given the choice, you would have never gotten close to them. I know, you know, you may get nod, you may not want to admit it, but how many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Maybe I can get an amen or a thumbs up online. Just don't tag that particular family member in the comments. But because they are family, because you love them, you've learned to tolerate them. And they've learned to tolerate you. And you work through all of your collective imperfections and irritations. Now, my goal tonight is to share Paul's words in Ephesians to help unify and strengthen our church family. That's my goal. And I feel that the Lord wants to help us to be reminded tonight to love first and then accept and tolerate and, yes, forbear one another in the body of Christ just as Jesus did for us. I want to begin by reminding you that our opening text was written by Paul to the Ephesians. And yes, they were a group of believers. There's no exemptions tonight. This scripture was written, this prison epistle was directed to the church. That's you, that's me, that's us. This is for us. Maybe right where you're at, just say, this is for me. And this particular group of believers, they were incredibly rich in Jesus Christ, but they were living and walking in a beggarly existence. In the first half of the book of Ephesians, Paul, he presents important doctrinal positions in chapters 1 through 3. But then something changes and turns in chapters 4 through 6. Paul begins to give practical applications of those doctrines as he focuses on the conduct 
of the church. The concept of forbearing one another is a part of this conduct. Now, Paul, his repeated emphasis on a believer's walk is the highlight of this section. Ephesians 4.1, we read, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. But interestingly enough, there are no imperatives, there's no commands in the first half of Ephesians. But starting right here at our opening text in chapter 4, Paul fires off like 35 directives that follow in the last half of Ephesians. This is a result of Paul. He just begins diving in and speaking to the believers about their responsibility to conduct themselves according to their individual calling. And church, it's so important that we always remember that our conduct really does matter to God. Your public conduct matters to God, and so does your private conduct. When nobody is around, your online conduct, when you're at church, when you're at work, your conduct matters to God, and it should all be in agreement with the Word of God. So the first half of the book of uh, Ephesians, it focuses on these doctrinal positions. Uh, The second half that we're going tonight talks about the practices of the Christian. And in Ephesians 4, Paul really focuses on the practice of walking in unity. I hope you truly believe that more than ever, right now, we have got to be a unified church. As this world and as our country in particular continues to be divided, we, the church, the body of Christ, must show that we can set aside our differences and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, show them that we are a unified body of believers. Amen? Paul, he previously mentioned this in 1 Corinthians 1.10. He said, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, By the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. So let there be no divisions in the church. So rather be of one mind, united in thought and in purpose. But the reality of unity in the church is that it is only effective if every part of the body, every person does their share. Ephesians 4.16 says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. Then it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So understand, there is great corporate blessing when the church is unified. It is a light to this dark world. But please don't overlook the fact that there is individual responsibility to work hard and to pursue that unity. You and I, we have a responsibility to individually work hard and be mindful of our conduct and our actions and how it relates to the unity of the church, the body of Christ. So I want us to look back at our opening text on what it specifically says about our individual Christian practices. 
We were told to walk worthy of our calling in Ephesians 1. But here's the difficult part of that. Tyndale Commentary reads that the life worthy of the calling of God is a life that is in fellowship with the people of God. Now, you may be thinking, I can walk worthy as long as I can walk alone. I can walk worthy if it's with those that I choose to walk with. But living for God, it would be so easy, right, if we didn't have to deal with each other or with certain members in particular. But walking in unity with each other is what will prove if we are walking worthy or not. And this may sound challenging and difficult, and the reality is, yes, it is challenging. Yes, it is difficult. But the encouraging news is this is all possible with three specific attitudes and virtues that are listed in Ephesians 4 and 2. It says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering. And I want to look at all of these tonight together, this Bible study on Wednesday night, in order, starting with lowliness. And lowliness, to be lowly means to be in humble manner, to put yourself in a low position. Lowliness, it's also referenced as humility in the scriptures. This virtue is listed first because of Paul's specific emphasis on unity, because Paul knew that the opposite of humility, which is pride, would promote disunity. So he knew, he remembered that humility would promote unity. Philippians 2, 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each other esteem others better than themselves. I thought, this is very interesting. I read this yesterday, Ephesians 4, 2, Philippians 2, 3, that these are the only two places where the full word lowliness is actually used in the whole King James Bible. The only two places, Ephesians 4, Philippians 2. Because certain uses of lowliness had negative connotations. It was associated with words that were connected to the practice of slaves or to people who were dishonorable. Lessons of humility, they had been taught in the Old Testament, specifically in Isaiah. But to the New Testament, to the Greeks, humility was not originally a virtue. It was not something that they sought after or they prided themselves about. But Jesus Christ changed the paradigm. Jesus Christ became the supreme example of humility. Through his example, lowliness became a virtue, an asset in the life of a believer. And Jesus' life and his death were all about service. It was all about sacrifice. And he did it all without thought of reputation. Philippians 2, 6-8 says, Who, being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In verse 7, But he made himself of no reputation, and he took upon him the form of a servant, and he was made in the likeness of men. In verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
And because we as Christians are called to follow in his steps, humility and lowliness should be an irreplaceable part of our Christian character and our walk with him. It should never be a quality as a church that we try to pass over, but rather something that we should endeavor to pursue. The second attitude or virtue that we must have is meekness. Meekness. This is a little bit different than lowliness because it relates to the way in which we respond to insults and injuries. To have meekness means to be mild of temper, soft, gentle, not easily provoked, not easily irritated, yielding, giving to forbearance under injuries. Now, this is... You're probably feeling this. This gets a little bit harder here because this calls you and I to bear the attacks in our lives patiently and not to do what we want to do so bad to retaliate or to seek revenge. How many of you have constantly needed to be reminded of Proverbs 15.1 that a soft answer, it turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. When we show meekness, not only do we promote unity, but we enhance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see this, that we show as a people of God that the Holy Spirit really is at work in us. When we, the church, we bear insults, we take injuries without anger, without a desire of revenge, without all of that, but rather with a mild and a forgiving spirit. That is how others will say that that church is different, that they have something different inside of them. In fact, if you claim to be spirit-filled, meekness should be one of those fruits of the spirit that is being produced and referenced in Galatians 5. But a true spirit of meekness, it makes us unwilling to provoke others and to not easily be provoked or offended by others. Meekness in the life of the believer, it reflects great self-control of emotions. Now some people, especially men, they hear the word meekness and they look at it as a negative, as an attribute that they don't want in their life because God forbid there be any softness in a real man. But please hear me today, according to the word of God, Meekness is not a weakness, but rather Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 5, that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We need meekness in our lives. And the third attitude of virtue uh, that we must have is long-suffering. Meekness focuses on how we respond to insults, but long-suffering focuses on how we receive those insults, injuries, and also the irritations of others. Long-suffering can be even more difficult because it implies a patient bearing of the imperfections and the faults and the infirmities of others. But long-suffering, it is shown through God's patience with us. 1 Timothy 1.16 says, However, for this reason... I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those 
who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. In response to what Jesus Christ did for us, long-suffering is one of those qualities that Christians should in turn show towards others. Colossians 3.12 says, Since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves, you must close yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Or as the King James Version says for the word patience, long-suffering. I truly believe that walking worthy, that walking in unity with each other on our own is impossible. I've failed at it many times, and I'm sure you have failed many times doing it on your own. But I truly believe that it is only possible through the power of the Holy Ghost and through these three God-given attitudes and virtues of lowliness, of meekness, and long-suffering. And God, help us to have those virtues in our lives. But after sharing these three virtues, Paul then shares the next step in which these qualities are to be carried out in one's conduct. He tells us that then we must be forbearing one another. Now the word forbearing, it's not a word that's commonly used anymore. To be forbearing is to be patient and restrained. It's to hold oneself back, to control oneself when poked and provoked. It is to endure and be patient when subject to, get ready for this, annoyance or provocation. To go a bit further, to be forbearing, it's to tolerate. It's to be forgiving, to overlook, and to be accommodating of each other's faults and irritations. Now, there's a great possibility that our online views just drop significantly. But this is the Word of God. I want you to hang with me just for a few more minutes. And I want us to take a closer look at what it really means to forbear one another. Because the Word of God speaks it to us, so we need to understand it and receive it. Now, many Christians, they understand and they accept the biblical principles of serving, of encouraging and forgiving one another. But the biblical principle of forbearing one another is often misunderstood or intentionally overlooked. But one way that I can think of to illustrate forbearing one another is talking about young love. I'll tell you what, when someone first falls in love, the level of tolerance and forbearance just goes to another crazy level. When someone is willing to, uh, what they're willing to put up with when they fall in love is sometimes quite absurd. And I'm sure some of you are in agreement right now. Maybe you had a friend or you saw someone close to you and they introduced you to this significant other, the one that they've been building up and just gushing about. But after you met them, you were extremely underwhelmed. You thought, is this the same person that you've been talking about? For example, you could be eating there with them and their significant other could be eating and smacking and talking food coming out of their mouth and sauce smeared all over their face. And you could kind of elude your friend about that repulsive behavior. 
But that poor lovesick friend of yours could respond with something like, I know, aren't they so cute when they eat? Like, what? What are you talking about? What Are you blind? You don't understand this? Or the romantic interest could be a convicted felon and you're trying to warn them like, this is not safe. And the reply was something like, isn't it amazing how much they've overcome all that adversity in their life? Like, what are you talking about? And I know this is an extreme example, but you've seen it before. You've seen what people are willing to overlook when they first fall in love. You know what I'm talking about. This, the old saying is that love is blind. And because of this so-called love, some are willing to overlook major imperfections and irritations of that person that they love so much. It's forbearing one another. You won't go far in the journey of life until forbearing one another will need to be exercised. 1 Corinthians 12 reminds us that the body of Christ has many individual members. And 1 Corinthians 12 also reminds us that all of the members of this body of Christ were very diverse, were very different. And you know what that means? That's right. That means that there is no way that you're going to see eye to eye with all the believers in the body of Christ. That means that there's a really good chance that someone's personality is just going to rub you the wrong way. That means that somebody in the body of Christ is going to irritate you and just get on your last nerve. Maybe it's because they're Temperament's different than your own. They could be sanguine or choleric or melancholy and you're the exact opposite and you're stuck serving with them every Sunday. They may have a particular taste and habits and personality that's just so much different than yours. They may have their own way and their own time frame of doing things that just makes you want to lose your mind. They may just be a natural, you know, naturally irritable person. It could be the way that they talk. To you, it sounds like fingernails just scratching on a chalkboard. Just... They may just have a complete different outlook and purpose in life. And hang on to your seats. There is even a good chance that the many believers in this diverse body of Christ church may have different political views than you do. There's a great possibility that they may even have different opinions on current social issues. And if you're not careful, your initial response to them may be to react, to retaliate in a harmful and a destructive manner. Sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly and behind the scenes, behind their backs. And if you're not careful... Your response could also be to reject those people, to repel or exclude or avoid those people. But guess what? We have to deal with Ephesians 4, which informs us about this great Christian virtue that we should have of forbearing one another. A commentator in Ephesians 4 said this about forbearance, that forbearance is a wonderful quality required when you are on the receiving end of provocations, irritations, and annoyances from the body. Forbearing involves bearing with one another's weaknesses, not ceasing to love 
one's neighbor or friends because of those faults in them which perhaps offend or displease us. It is that mutual tolerance. It is that mutual tolerance without which no group of human beings can live together in peace. I want us to understand tonight that in order for us as a church to walk worthy, to be a unified body of believers for bearing one another is a must. And wouldn't things just be better if everyone just agreed with you, if everyone just thought like you so you wouldn't have to tolerate them? In discussion of this sermon, Brother Johns, he mentioned to me that there's a big difference between unity and uniformity. When you are a immature person or Christian, you want everybody to be uniformed. You want them to be like you, to think like you, to see your point, to agree with your points and your posts. But mature Christians pursue unity, even with others with great differences in behaviors and opinions. There's a big problem in our country right now, a great move for a lack of tolerance. If you do not conform to a certain ideology, you get written off. If you don't agree, if you don't approve of political views or social issues or a particular lifestyle, you don't just have a difference of opinion, you are the opposition, you are the enemy. But remember this, church, that we are not of this world, that we have a higher calling, that we must strive to walk worthy of. We are called to lowliness. We are called to meekness, to long-suffering and forbearing one another in love. Now, as challenging as this may be, please hear me. That you are not alone. Trust me, you are not alone. Even the best Christians have the need to bear with one another, to make the best of one another. We are called to do what another commentator said, is to, to provoke one another's graces and not their passions. So if you're sincere about pursuing unity in the church, and not creating turmoil, if you're sincere about loving and helping and building one another up and not trying to stir up or tear others down, you must learn this principle of forbearing one another. Remember that unity in the body can be ruined by a person that cannot bear or handle a difference of opinion or a temperament. Unity in the body can be destroyed by a spirit of fault finding or an unsatisfied temper, a constant irritability. Now you may not have a problem with the previous three lessons of one another. You may not have a problem serving one another, but do you have a problem socializing with one another? You don't have a problem and you don't mind encouraging one another publicly but do you have a problem engaging them in your private circles? You don't mind forgiving one another, but would you have a problem with truly being their friend? The concept of forbearing one another, it does not direct us to avoid 
to exclude or to distance ourselves from others in the body of Christ. In fact, forbearing one another is all about intentionally being inclusive, about loving and tolerating and being patient and controlled while at the same time being closely connected to one another. Well, the final question to answer tonight is why? Why would we do this? Why would we put up with so much? Why would we forgive? Why should I show restraint? Why should I tolerate that irritating person in my life? Our opening text in Ephesians 4 reads, I, therefore the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all loneliness and meekness, and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Paul, he spoke of the importance of each one of us to walk worthy of our calling. He told the church to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And he said that it was all possible through love. Ephesians 3, 17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And finally, in Mark 12, 29 through 31, Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and your mind and all of your strength. Verse 31, the second is equally important, that you love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Our greatest motivation to pursue unity And to forbear one another is because of our love for Jesus Christ and our love for one another. And if you truly love Jesus, then you will love one another. And if you truly love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you will serve one another. And if you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you will encourage one another. You will forgive one another. And finally, if you truly love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you will forbear one another. Tonight, as we conclude this message, I want us to pray that the Lord would sincerely help us to walk worthy of our calling as believers and to be unified through a genuine love for one another. Right where you're at, you're gathered alone, you're gathered with your family. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to open your hearts to this word of God tonight and let the Lord speak to you and help us tonight. Jesus, I love you and I thank you for your presence and I thank you for your word. 
I thank you, Lord, for this incredible church, this body of believers, oh Lord, that we have the privilege and the honor of being a part of. Thank you, oh God, for your salvation. Thank you, oh God, for your grace and your mercy and your love in my life. When I needed it most, while I was yet a sinner, Jesus, you died for me. You forgave me and you loved me, God, without restraint. You gave your life for me. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would help us to understand the importance of walking worthy tonight, the importance and the power of being a unified body of believers. But Lord, help us, I pray, in every area of our lives to show true and genuine love, love for one another's God, love God to those who have such a difficult time, Lord, connecting with them, being a part of. Lord, this concept of forbearing one another, Lord, I know it can be difficult and I know it can be a challenge and a hurdle for the church. But God, if there is any part, oh God, of us that is keeping us from unity, of keeping us, of being our very best, of helping others, oh God, in this journey of life, Lord, on their way to heaven, I pray that you would help us to remove every weight, to remove every distraction, God, to remove every weakness in our lives. And Lord, without restraint, God, to show love, to show mercy, to show compassion for one another, God. Help us, I pray, speak to us tonight of the importance, oh God, of forbearing one another. And right where you're at, why don't you continue to talk to the Lord and let him speak to your heart tonight.